Welcome to Bible Study Today. We're so glad you could join us on this study about Jesus and those in need. On our panel today, we have, first of all, Helen. Hi, lovely to be here. And Harvey. Great to be with you all again. And Ken. Always a pleasure to be here. And today, Ken is uh, occupying the seat of facilitator. And uh, Ken, we're going to hand it over to you. Okay, thank you, Lynn. Hello, listeners, and welcome to our Bible study entitled Jesus and Those in Need. If you have been following the study over the last few weeks, you will know that we are looking at the role Jesus played and spoke about when he was on earth. Many of you may not be aware that Jesus came down from heaven to earth to serve mankind and restore the connection between man and God that was broken when Adam and Eve sinned. But before we go any further, we will ask Len to open in prayer. Listeners, would you like to join us in prayer? Father in heaven, your word is a wonderful book. It teaches us about God who loves us. It teaches about God who has um, done everything possible to redeem fallen mankind. And it also teaches us how to live. And one of the ways we should live is to emulate our God. I want to pray for each person listening today that they might receive inspiration from this program and an incentive to link their lives with yours. Pray that us as, as a panel, as we share, that you give us the right words to say. And we invite your blessings on our listeners and on us as presenters today. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 I want to start off today by looking at what Jesus had to say about his ministry as found in uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 19. And I think, Lane, you're going to look at this scripture for us? Yes. These are the words spoken by Jesus when he was in the church or in the um, synagogue in Nazareth and worshipping on the Sabbath, as was his normal practice. And he's quoting actually from Isaiah, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now I'm going to make a little comment here. In these last studies we've been having over the last few weeks, we've learned that God expects his people to act justly, to act with mercy, as he does. Today, in this particular study, we see God in action, not just God telling what people should be like and what he is like, but God in action. And Jesus is making this statement here, that he came in order to relieve suffering and to lift people up out of their despair. 
Anyone else like to have a few comments on that one? Well, I found this a very, very interesting text. And as Len just said, um, this is, was Jesus' ministry. And Jesus instructs us to follow his example. And, of course, it starts off with the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach. Anointing, of course, um, he is the Messiah and he was anointed for such. But I believe God has also anointed his people to do a work as well, just as Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I, I looked at this and I thought there are seven points in this text that comes out to me. You know, firstly, we need the spirit of the Lord in our life as it started there and we also need not only the spirit of the lord in our life we need the spirit of the lord to help us to preach the good news to other people um jesus was also sent to heal and i believe we've been given the same commission and it may be just sharing with people the eight natural laws of health you know from that point of view proclaiming liberty you know where do we get our freedom from well i know my freedom comes from christ i'm free in him and it makes a difference i can share that with other people it says recover sight can we actually help blind men to see well maybe not physically but spiritually i believe god has given us that opportunity and it's again says set at liberty and it says proclaim the year of the lord and um I just found that very interesting. Jesus came to show us what God was like. But these are all practical, practical issues that I believe that God wants us to take part in as well. Basically, this was a mission statement by Jesus. He was saying, here I am. This is what I have come to do. And not only that, Helen was talking about preaching. The important part of preaching is practicing what you preach. Um, just the other day I was on YouTube looking at a site which was, uh, there was a young Baptist minister. He went through 10 of the biggest churches in the world and then later on he was talking about those leaders of the churches. And some of those leaders are multi-millionaires. One of them has about five or six aeroplanes and just bought a new one for about 40 million dollars needs a 17 million dollar fit out brand new plane and he says it's so i can go from place to place so people can pray for me well to me that's that's not religion that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus was humbled. Here's this guy living in absolute luxury. And uh, I, I haven't given his name because some people might be offended, but if you go on the site, the 10 largest churches in the world, you'll learn some things that might be very surprising. Jesus was humble. Although he was God as man, he never expected people to come around and look after him he was just humble he was I think a that's servant wasn't he sorry yeah. Harvey something to, to say there I was just going to say Len made a comment and I agree with him 100% where he said these texts represent like a mission statement for Jesus it's interesting when Jesus came down to be baptised of John in the Jordan when he was coming down John recognised who he was they were sort of cousins but I don't think they'd ever met at that stage. 
but John made the statement because he was preparing the way for Jesus when Jesus came the first time. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. So what these texts said was like Jesus' own mission statement, but John sort of even made it more succinct. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Mm. Mm. So he brought it down to that's what Jesus is here for. Yeah, that's very true, Harvey. I think one of the things I found really interesting about this passage is at the very start where Jesus, who we know is the Son of God, has said God has anointed him. And as he mentions all throughout his uh, scriptures or the scriptures written about Jesus, that uh, all his power and everything came from God. And that's why he spent so much time in prayer to God. And I'd just like to read a little summary about just what we've been looking at in this first chapter. Here Jesus applies the words of Isaiah 61 to his own ministry. The Spirit anointed him to bring liberation to those in need. First, his mission was to proclaim good news to the poor. Throughout Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Luke, he indeed emphasizes God's care for the poor, Luke 60 verses 20, and the responsibility of others to care for them. Sometimes even miraculously provides food for hungry crowds. But Jesus also came to free captives and liberate the oppressed. While Jesus did not literally break people out of prisons, he certainly freed those who were oppressed by the devil. Likewise, in line with Isaiah's prophecy, Jesus came to heal the blind, like the blind man by the Jericho Road, Luke 18, verse 35. Indeed, he later healed Saul of both physical and moral blindness, and that's Acts 9, 18. What I find amazing about the situation here is that Jesus, as God, coming down from a paradise none of us can begin to imagine to serve mankind as a man like we are. Panel, can you comprehend the step that Jesus took? I think it's pretty much impossible, actually. It's sort of almost an infinite difference, and we don't recognise, or we cannot see within ourselves where God came from, where Jesus came from, because that's so far above what we understand. One day we'll completely understand because we'll, we'll see it in reality if we're faithful. Just this week, Ken, I read a book uh, which my wife had read earlier and she said, this is a really good book. It's about how God healed a young woman. Her name was Nita Edwards and she lived in... Um, Sri Lanka she uh, fell down some stairs and she went down on her backside and it crushed a couple of the vertebrae in her back and she um, being a, a rather athletic young woman uh, thought oh well no I've got a bit of pain there and so she got up and she did various things but it got worse and worse and worse eventually Eventually, she was taken to hospital. She then um, progressed from bad to worse to worse to worse to worse. And after being in hospital for about a year, she had no feeling and no motion in her legs. This uh, disease 
was, I don't know if it was because of the crushed vertebrae or it was associated with the crushed vertebrae, but all her limbs began to cramp up, her hands were like claws. Eventually she couldn't even speak, although she was quite a religious young woman. And God healed her. And, and this, although I've only read it in words and I haven't seen a movie or anything of it and they can make things look pretty real in movies, God healed her in such a dramatic way and it gave me a glimpse of the power of God. She was lying in bed. God had told her she was going to be healed on February the 11th at 3.30 p.m. And so she had others there to witness this. At 3.30 on that particular day, everything was just normal. People were around her trying to console her. Mind you, she couldn't speak to them. She could move her lips but had no vocal action as a result of her speaking. And then suddenly it was like she was hit by a bomb. She flew out of bed. And I don't mean she climbed out of bed. She couldn't. She was totally crippled. She flew out of bed and landed on the floor on the other side of the back of the bed on her knees with her hands clasped. And I thought, how mighty is God? And it's given me just a tiny little glimpse of the power and the glory of God. And this is what Jesus came to do I mean, we read it in words, but when you see something like that, it makes a very powerful impression. So that's my contribution to this part here, Ken. <laughs> I, I just find it... Uh, thank you for sharing that, Len. That was just amazing. I, I find it, as you do, amazing that Jesus, as God, came to this earth. He didn't come as a full-grown man. He came as a helpless, tiny baby. And that, to me, blows me away. I mean, we're talking about the creator of the universe, and he came and he was in that state. When you think about it, he was born into poverty, so he understands people that were in poverty, you know, and he grew up in poverty. He know, knew what it was like to suffer. He knew what it was like to be hungry. And he also knew what it was like to be a refugee in a foreign place. You know, people say, God doesn't understand. Jesus didn't understand. How could he understand? But, you know, when you look into scripture and you see what happened on this earth when he came here, he understood every part of us. And I believe the fact of coming as a baby means that not even the young folk have reason to say, he never understood what it was like to be a young person. And, and I found that just incredible. But getting back to the mission statement, which he calls us to do, by the way, in our commission as well, I came across a, an illustration on this, if I may share it with And it's, called, it's about a man called Sundar Singh in 1889 to 1929. He was a Christian ministry from India who spread God's word among the people of Tibet in the Himalayan mountain ranges. And one afternoon, as he and a companion travelled on foot along a hilly path in Tibet, they were caught in a severe um, snowstorm. And during a brief lull in the storm, Singh happened to look down from the edge of a steep slope and saw the body of a traveller lying in the snow at the foot of the cliff. 
and that was over 30 feet below on the path and obviously the stranger had fallen from the path and needed urgent assistance. Now as he climbed down to rescue the man his companion tried to discourage him from doing so and the companion would sing that if they lost time in the effort to save the stranger all three of them would freeze to death in the snowstorm before they would reach their shelter. However, Singh was determined to save the helpless man, asked his companion to cooperate, but he refused to help, and he walked away to save his own life. Singh carefully climbed down the slope and reached the helpless man. He was badly hurt and had a broken leg in the fall, and Singh carried the stranger on his shoulders, covering him with a blanket as he climbed up the slippery and steep path with the heavy load. And after hours of difficult travel with the heavy load in the terrible snowstorm, Singh approached the nearest village just before dark, and he was soaked in sweat. Suddenly he stumbled over a human body half buried in the ice-covered road. It was the frozen corpse of the companion who had deserted Singh and continued alone to save his own life. Singh carried the stranger to the warmth and safety of a shelter in the village and provided him with all the necessary assistance. Sounds like the Good Samaritan, doesn't it? He realised that by saving the stranger, he had actually saved himself. The exertion of carrying that heavy load, the perspiration and the contact of their living bodies had heated them up and saved their lives. And he remembered the words of Jesus, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. And one of Sunda Singh's disciples once asked him, What is life's most difficult task? And he said, To have no burden to carry. The gift of selfless service is that it also helps the one who serves. And I thought that really summed up, didn't it, what Jesus came to do for humanity, to take us on his shoulders and and rescue us. You know, and he gave his life for us too. I think, Helen, that's an absolutely amazing story. And I'm sure if we looked, we would find many, many more like that. Mm. Uh, I know if we, if the four of us here today were to tell our listeners what Jesus has done for us over the years, we could spend the rest of the afternoon going through things and I think at the end of it as at the beginning of it, we always wonder why, because God is so good to us. Now I do understand that many of our listeners don't know God yet and perhaps they think he's some far off uh, a figment of our imagination, but God is a real person, a real identity and he's longing to help everybody out there. You just have to get in touch with him. Lynn, you have something to say? Yes, I want to come back to what I was saying before. Uh, we were, over the last few weeks, talking about what God expects of his people to be people of justice and mercy. And then also the claims that he makes about himself, that he is a God of justice and mercy. But the thing that really hit me in this study we're having this week is that God demonstrates his justice and his mercy. And um, that story that you've just told is an illustration of what God is like. The Good Samaritan's another illustration of what God is like. And that follows on what we as his believers, his followers, should be like. Mm. And that, that, that is so true and unfortunately today many churches out there they talk the talk but they don't walk the walk That's a pity. Uh, and, and that is so unfortunate yeah. because we have so many people in need and I think uh, that in many cases churches have turned many people away by not really being interested in them or not really being able to help them or, or not having some time for them Mind you, I, I would like to say that 
There are a lot of good people in churches doing a lot of good stuff, but there are some who kind of get a bit mixed up and uh, forget all about demonstrating what God is like to people. They get wrapped up in their own little whatever it is. Their own world. (laughs) Their own world and um, become insular, whereas God wants us to be open and help people who are in need. I think I think an important issue here too is the fact that when Jesus walked on this earth, he was no respecter of people. He didn't bother, you know, what colour they were or what class they were in. Um, it didn't bother him if they had leprosy. He would still go and touch them, would he not? And yet in that day it was classed as being unclean, unclean. And the example that comes to my mind was um, Mother Teresa. Yes. You know, um, she was asked of someone once... Um, how can you help those people in India, you know, the squalor that they live in, what have you? And she said, when I look at them, I see Jesus. Mm. And that's what, what these studies that we're having is all about, isn't it? Unto the least of these, my brethren, you do it unto me. And I think that's probably a good lesson for us. Mm. I, I think uh, looking at Mother Teresa, I'm absolutely um, astounded by this <clears throat> this lady. She's absolutely amazing. And I, I greatly ad- admire her. She was just awesome. Um, all throughout the life of Jesus, which is three and a half years from when he began his ministry, we see a man who helps and heals all who came to him, even those in society called unclean and would have nothing to do with him. And we're going to look at that. I think, Harvey, you've got an example here for us in Matthew. Yes, reading from Matthew chapter 8 verses 1 to 3 when he was come down from the mountain great multitudes followed him and behold there came a leper and worshipped him saying Lord if thou wilt thou canst make me clean and Jesus put forth his hand and touched him saying I will be thou clean and immediately his leprosy was cleansed here we've got a uh, verse talking about the way that Jesus healed as Helen made a comment before about the fact that people considered unclean nobody else would touch them and yet Jesus did Um, I think that he gave us the ultimate example how we should deal with people we shouldn't see them for what they own or their age or their status in life or their um, anything about them whether they're people that are um, you know we talk about celebrities and things like that that didn't impress Jesus one bit Jesus was interested in the heart of a person rather than what they were have you ever experienced not being touched I mean, don't mean touched by the sun or touched by lunacy or something <laughs> like that. Don't look at me when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was nothing in it, Helen. Um, to be touched is a really wonderful thing. And you can imagine these lepers, lepers with leprosy. And I know leprosy sometimes means more than that contagious disease, but... Those people were out of contact with people. They had no physical contact. And I can imagine when Jesus put his hand on that leper to heal him, number one, 
you don't touch a leper because leprosy is contagious. But to receive a touch would be something really wonderful. And then to find himself healed was a, such a beautiful thing for that person. I'm sure that he followed the Lord after that because well, when I say I'm sure, I've got nothing to prove it, but I feel in my heart of hearts that he would have served the Lord after that because of that beautiful thing that was done for him. And there are people in our society who lack that contact with people. And when we make friends with them or help them or something, they really appreciate it. We mightn't think it's a very great thing to do, but they really appreciate it. That's something that really speaks to me from this particular section of Scripture. Helen, you've got yeah. something to add? Yes. Um, not all leprosy is contagious, oh. but there is a vast amount that is. I was privileged to visit an Hansonite colony, which is a leper colony up in Papua New Guinea. And, you know, you talk about people shunning people. I, I have seen people turn away from these people, you know, because they could have a nose missing, um, their toes have gone off their feet or whatever. But they are beautiful, beautiful people absolutely beautiful people and and I just felt it a complete privilege to be able to to be there you know and hug them and and like Len was saying imagine what it must be like for people to shun you in society I'm sorry to say this but I often see that even with our people that are disabled you know I had met a lady um, one day recently I had met her many years ago um, in an accident and then I, it was years before I saw her again she was in a new wheelchair and, and I just went up and spoke with her and we had a, a good chat and she said you know she said 30 years I've been in this wheelchair and she said nobody from this town has spoken to me wow she Gee. said anybody that speaks to me comes from a different town she said you're not from here are you I said well yeah I am actually <laughs> and she was absolutely stunned now that spoke volumes to me I have friends that have got children in wheelchairs you know and I think a lot is is ignorance people don't know how you know what they're supposed to say and and I think two of my own um, stepdaughter profoundly deaf when I first met her all I could do was smile and wave you know hi and everything was interpreted when I finally could learn to sign with her it just broke down the barriers and I realized how lonely people are in their own worlds but we we're just ignorant we don't know what to say what to do and so we turn our back and that's not what Jesus did Jesus never turned his back on, on anybody, you know. And, and in that verse it was saying, you know, um, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Now, you're saying that to the great physician. He is willing. He wants to make every one of us clean, not only physically, but spiritually. Yeah. Harvey, you got something to add? It's just a simple thing. I'm sure that some people have heard it, and I'm not going to quote it now, and that's, a poem called The Touch of the Master's Hand. Mm. And when Len, Len was commenting about when Jesus touched the leper and healed him, even though the two aren't totally the same, but that's the ultimate touch of the Master's Hand. And it was certainly the, what that leper needed. Right. Len, I'm just going to make a bit of a comment on things you said there uh, and Helen about touch and what not uh, I watched a program last year on television I, I think it was called 
Filthy Rich and Poor. I think that's the title. Uh, I'm sorry if I've got that wrong, but that comes into my mind. And it was about these people who were quite well off. They weren't movie stars or film stars and all like that, but quite well off in society. And they were given a challenge, which they accepted, which was very brave of them to do, to go and live on the streets for a week among street people to get to know them. Well, I must admit and be honest with listeners, I had a, a preconceived idea about street people, and I was totally wrong. After watching this show, I was absolutely turned 100% towards uh, uh, going up to these people, as Helen said, uh, speaking with them, helping them in any way I can. And, and that was an absolutely amazing show, and I believe it changed the views of millions of people out there watching it. So that was really amazing. One of the other things was we were talking about people, and again, uh, I think I'm right in saying that Princess Diana was one of the first people to touch people with AIDS. Uh, and this was recorded back in the news uh, many, many years ago. And again, here's someone uh, in society, very, very uh, well-to-do, shall we say, and, and up there with, with the royal family, etc. But she had an amazing heart, this woman. And, of course, we could see that when she had that terrible accident and died. The, almost the entire nation came out to to uh, bid her farewell. So absolutely amazing. Um, I'm going to look at a, another verse about why Jesus came to earth. And Helen, you're going to read this one for us, John 12, verse 47. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says here, I will not judge those who hear me but don't obey me, for I've come to save the world and not to judge it. Now, I think we need to put this in context because the purpose of Jesus' first mission to this earth was not to judge the people but to show them the way to find salvation and eternal life. But there will come a day, as the following verses tell us, that he will judge the people. But when he came, the first mission was to show them the way to find salvation and eternal life. You know, this is rather a wonderful statement. Very often we have preconceived notions of what somebody is like. They look a bit scruffy. Well, they, we probably think, ah, oh, this person's on drugs or something like that. But that's not a very wise attitude to have. We should be aware of the fact that everyone has the opportunity to be saved. God loves everyone. And just because they're not wearing nice clothes or they don't look nice and tidy. They might be beautiful people. They're just in need of direction in their lives. That's a good point, Len. Len, that, that's interesting. Many years ago when I was heavily into motorbikes, um, and I had be out on the cruiser bike going along and uh, have my leather gear on and what have you, and if I saw somebody stopped at the side of the road, I'd pull over to go to help them. And of course... Sometimes uh, I remember one couple in particular on the top of a Halloran Hill, the uh, elderly couple, and they were standing beside their car, and obviously were in some sort of grief. And I pulled in in front of the car and got off and walked up to them. And uh, I'm sure they're thinking, Crikey, is this guy coming to rob us? <laughs> What's he going to do? But uh, their car had broken down, but they had uh, a mobile phone and they had phone family to come and see them. But uh, again, as you say, we often, and I think we all do it from time to time, I think it's just part of human nature, if somebody looks a bit 
uh, shall we say, a bit rough looking, we assume, oh, they might not be the best to be involved with or, or whatever. But often you find that these people have got such a lovely heart uh, and uh, can be, be really, really lovely people. We stereotype, don't we? We, we do, Helen, yes, absolutely. I, yes. I, I was again privileged when I was in the teaching game that I had 15 bikies in a class with their leathers on and their tattoos and everything else. And I, I've just got to tell you, I had such a ball with these guys, you know. I, I did start by saying the strongest word here, guys, is oops in my class. Well, they just went oops, 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 oops around the whole class. And, but there was respect there, and they were lovely, lovely guys. And I tell you what, if I broke down on the side of the road and one of them came up, I would just be saying hallelujah. <laughs> they were really great. So but we do stereotype. You're quite correct, Lynn. You wanted to say something. Well, I'm a member of a motorcycle club, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> sometimes I look like a bikey, but we don't call ourselves bikeys, we call ourselves bikers. Mm. But um, I've also found some of these rough-looking people are really beautiful people mm. inside. And so, just as Jesus said, I didn't come to judge you. I haven't come to uh, say, uh, before you even open your mouth or anything, I haven't come to say, well, you're in, you're out, or something like that. He said, I've come to help you. I've come to, to be a blessing to you. And, and to love. Yeah. Mm. Yes, that's, that's so, so true. We, we sometimes uh, do think the wrong thing about people. But, of course, if you're in need or in help, uh, I think anyone that comes along to help, it would be actually very nice. So that's really good. Um, I'm going to look at some more healings Jesus did, bearing in mind that the Bible tells us he did many, many more than what is recorded. And uh, apparently, if we were to write all the... Re or if the um, uh, apostles at the time had written all that Jesus uh, had done, there wouldn't have been room for the rest of the Bible because he was very, very busy. So, Lane, you're going to uh, look at John uh, 4 and verse 46 to 53 for us. All right, this is quite a bit... <coughs> So it's John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 46 to 53. And it says, Once more he, that's Jesus, visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal officer whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies, which he's basically saying, well, I believe already. I don't have to see the miracle. I believe. Going on. Verse 50, Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. That's about 1 p.m. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he, 
and all his household believed. This is a beautiful story. Um, mm. First of all, who was he? Well, he, uh, he was an official in the Roman government. And the Romans were not liked in uh, Israel because they, uh, the Israelites were in subjection to the Romans. So the first thing Jesus could have said, uh, get lost. We don't want to have anything to do with you Romans. But no, even to somebody who was regarded as an enemy, Jesus helped and blessed. And this man, as a result, became a follower of Christ. Harvey, can I add something to that? It's just a simple comment, actually, that we use the term seeing is believing. But this man that Len made comment about believed without seeing. And many people have to do that. Sometimes we, our faith is tested and we just say, Lord, I believe. Because um, if we have to see something, we can't always see it. It, it. Things don't always drop into place like that so easily. But if we have faith in Jesus, and we get that faith usually because we have experienced what he's done in our lives or what we have seen him do in other people's lives and so we believe by faith and that is really important I think it was interesting to note that not only did he believe but he acted on that belief because Jesus said go home back home and your son will live and the man believed that Jesus said and he started home so he was already believing and doing something about it. But what I found really interesting about that when I went in to look at this study a little bit more, that the official son was 20 miles away. This man had come 20 miles to see Jesus. And even though there was that distance, it was no problem from Christ to heal him. He has mastery over space. And I, I found that interesting when I thought about that. I thought we can never put so much space between us and Christ that he can no longer help us, you know, in any situation and anywhere at all. Amazing. I'd just like to make another comment. After Jesus' resurrection, the apostles were still gathered together because they were scared the Jews were going to come and arrest them with the false accusation that they'd stolen the body of Jesus and that's why it was missing from the grave. So they were together in this upper room, but Thomas wasn't there. Thomas was away. Maybe he was buying bread or something. I have no idea. The Bible doesn't say. And he, Thomas came back and um, the disciples said, we've seen the Lord. Bah, he said, rubbish. Unless I see him, unless I put my hands in his nail prints, I won't believe. About a week later, Thomas was with the group and Jesus came and appeared to them. And then Thomas did put his hands in where the nails had pierced him and the spear had gone in his side. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, I haven't seen Christ, but I have his word here and I believe. 
and believe that he existed, believe that he is, and believe that he is working in my life and in the lives of you other panel members and probably in the lives of you too, listeners. Blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. That, that's a good point, Len, and it's so true. And I find this a, a really amazing uh, story because we have this person, say, whose son was sick and he's walked 20 miles. Bear in mind, in those days, with no uh, taxis or Uber or trains or aircraft, you had to walk or uh, the poor people might have afforded a donkey, but I think most of them actually walked and 20 miles walking uh, on the sort of roads they had back then or paths is not like it was today so that was that was quite a journey uh, such a, a really amazing story and the fact that this gentleman said look you don't I don't even want you to come under my roof just say the word I mean that is absolutely amazing faith but also Len I'd like to add the point you said about uh, Jesus saying blessed are those who haven't seen me now I sometimes think and look don't be offended this is just my thoughts but I sometimes think that Christians today have more faith perhaps than the apostles because we believe in Jesus and we haven't seen him mm -hmm. uh, we have his word and I know he works in our life and as I've said many many times on the show God has done so many amazing things for me we could spend hours on that alone but that's one of those things just want to look at a, a, a couple of other little verses here uh, Harvey you're going to look at uh, Mark 1 and verse 23 to 28 yes Mark 1 verses 23 to 28 and there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying let us alone what have we to do with thee thou Jesus of Nazareth art thou come to destroy us I know thee who thou art the Holy One of God and Jesus rebuked him saying Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad, throughout all the region round about Galilee. That's uh, another amazing story. And the reason, I don't listen to if you're following, but we're looking at different types of miracles that Jesus did. And this one in particular uh, I found interesting because here we're talking of evil spirits. Now, I know there's many people out there who don't believe in Satan, who don't believe in uh, evil angels, but I can assure these things do exist, and certainly evil spirits exist. And here we have an example of it that Jesus did. Uh, panel, any other thoughts on this? Even the spiritual underworld recognized Jesus as to who he was, didn't they not? Mm. And it was interesting that Jesus, of course, had power over them as well. And saying, be quiet, come out of the man, it wasn't his time. It wasn't his time for everybody to know who he really was at that time. But it does show us, of course, that Christ had the power from on high. How come this evil spirit knew who Jesus was? Because he called him. He said, you are the Holy One of God. Before Satan and his 
rebel angels kicked out of heaven. They knew who Jesus was, mm -hmm. and he never forgot. And here's this evil angel. He will never be saved. He's made his choice. You chose to go with Satan. He will eventually be destroyed. But he could say, you are the Holy One of yes. God who is demonstrating what God is like to fallen humanity. Good point. Mm. Okay. I experienced a situation in Fiji when I was working over there. And a girl was struck by an evil spirit, and it really was an evil spirit. And when she screamed, it was a blood-curdling scream like I'd never heard before. But the blessing, when I say that, not the blessing of that, but what happened is that young lady accepted Jesus as her personal saviour, and she is now a worker for the Lord. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing, amazing. Mm. Okay, uh, we'll move on. Time's beginning to catch up with this. Uh, going to look at a, another one here, uh, Matthew 8, verses 5 to 13. Helen, you're going to look at this one for us? Yes, Matthew 8, 5 to 13, again from the New Living Translation. It says here, When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home because you believed as it, ha it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. Again, this is a, another amazing story. Now, we have heard before that Jesus is able to he uh, heal people without uh, touching them. But what's amazing again about this story is that the person seeking Jesus' help was a Roman centurion, uh, an officer in the, the Roman guard. And as Len mentioned earlier on, uh, Israel was under uh, the jurisdiction of the Romans and the uh, Romans ruled the place and the uh, people in Israel weren't very happy with that situation. But obviously the fame of Jesus was spreading everywhere and not only were his own people believing but many of what they call the Gentile people were believing. And it's so sad to read in the scriptures that Jesus is saying that uh, as time goes on from his day, there'll be perhaps more Gentiles saved, perhaps, than there were Israeli people. Yeah, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that Jesus only ha can work in one area or one way. And I think the Pharisees are a classic example of this. Their pious piety, if you like, meant nothing. You know, in light of you read this story, and, and Jesus was, com was commending this Gentile centurion because he had more faith than than anybody else and not only did he have more faith he acted on it 
which is, of course, what the Pharisees didn't do. And and I think, well, that's that's really important that we must be very, very careful not not to limit God because of our idea of another person from another country or wherever. Don't put limits on God. That Roman centurion would have been as popular amongst the Israelites as would a KGB officer or an um, SS officer during the Second World War. But mm. Jesus never turned him away. Uh-huh. Yes, absolutely uh, amazing. And he um, won't turn anybody <coughs> away. No. No, mm. no one. Um, we're just going to look at one more miracle, the storm, and uh, that's Leon. You're going to look at this one, Matthew 8, 23 to 27. This uh, story, when I was a child, impressed me very much, and it still does. Um, I'm reading from Matthew 8, verses 23 to 27. Then he got into the boat, this is Jesus, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Well, I told you the story about the healing of that young lady, Nita Edwards. That was demonstration of the power of God here was again a demonstration of the power the power of God but why did Jesus do that he didn't have to stop the storm but well he was just showing really who he really was who he really was but he also cared for those disciples in the boat I guess he showed us that he could stop not only the, the storms of nature, but he can be there for the storms of troubled hearts. Mm. Yeah. You know, his power calmed that storm, and he can calm us when we get into different problems in life. Yeah. Incredible story, and uh, the concept that Jesus was in the boat, and the disciples were really scared that they were going to die, and they were experienced sailors. Mm. They were, they were obviously, if they felt that they were about to die, it must have been really rough. But it's incongruous, isn't it, that here in the back of the boat was the one who created all things, and yet the disciples did not understand that fully until much later, probably, that here they had the creator of all things, and the chances of them drowning that night was zero even though they didn't think that of course and uh, but Jesus sort of commented to them about the fact that they were of little faith the fact that they didn't really believe as they should and he stood up and he told the wind and the waves to go go away basically and suddenly it was calm And I find that one of the most amazing stories, actually. I'd, I'd like to bring something out, and I agree with you, Harvey, with what you've said. It's interesting that they cried out, Lord, save us, or we're going to drown. Virtually, they knew God, God could save them. They, that was their last resort, if you like. But did you notice God didn't turn, or Jesus didn't turn around and say, well, you know, you got yourself in this mess, get yourself out. 
He didn't. He calmed the storm first and then he said to them, Oh, ye of little faith. Did you notice that? He is willing to come whenever we call. Um, something Helen said before has set the wheels turning. <laughs> this is about a physical occurrence. And it was known that these storms would suddenly um, develop in that area. However, of course, many people living in storms in their lives, some are very, very unhappy. Some of you listeners might be involved in something like this. Perhaps you've got some really serious difficulties and troubles and you're stressed. And, and um, what the disciples cried out, Lord save us, is something that's very applicable to you if you're experiencing this. Lord save us. He promises to help. It might, might not be the way that you think it will be, but he will help. He will bring peace to your life if you put your life in his hands. I think that's important, but can I add one more thing? That when we ask him to save us, it needs to be according to his will. Yeah. As you say, it may not be how we expect it, but according to his will is the best for everybody. Helen made the comment before about the fact that it was a... They felt it was the last chance, you know, the mm. fact that they thought they were going to die. Well, the ultimate story like that is really the thief on the cross. And he knew probably very little about salvation and about what Jesus, who Jesus was, etc. But talk about a last chance. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I love the story. I think it's a beautiful story where Jesus actually said to him, you will be with me in paradise. And that's the same. If we call out to the Lord to save us, he will save us. Yeah. Uh, again, a fascinating thing I think about this story is uh, here we have the disciples with Jesus. They've been with him some time. They've witnessed many of the miracles that he did. But yet, when the storm came up, Jesus is fast asleep, obviously enjoying a, a, a bit of a nap in the... Uh, the disciples are uh, are working, and this storm comes up, and they're they're scared to death, and it has the the penny hasn't dropped that they've got the Son of God on board, who not only can save people but also can change the weather. And as we have seen through these different things, there's absolutely nothing that Jesus cannot do. Absolutely nothing. Can we I are just running say out we of time. Are, we sorry, are no Helen. Sorry, um, Ken. I came over the top. We are no different. No. We are no different. We we see God working in our life and, and, you know, the miraculous times that he works in our lives personally. And all of a sudden we come across a storm and and we have forgotten. We have forgotten. David got discouraged because he forgot. And he said, how will I get out of this pit? I know I'll go into the sanctuary and remember how God has led. And I think there's a key there for us. We have nothing to fear for the future except we forget the way the Lord has led us in the past in his teaching. That's so true. Um, real quickly, I just want to finish off with one more uh, scripture, which I think is important. Uh, Harvey, you're going to look at uh, Luke 19, verse 45 to 48. Yes, and he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought, saying unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him, 
and could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Okay, that's a, a really interesting scripture. You may be wondering, listeners, why we've included this in the healings. But I want you to see that Jesus came to help all those in need and at the same time point out social wrongs that were taking place everywhere he went. He was not afraid to speak the truth, something we don't come across so much today. We live in a society where many people only think of themselves, but as we see, one person can make a change and that one person is you. I just think today, listeners, for hearing what we have been speaking about and I'm going to ask Helen to end in prayer. Thank you. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, you are so caring and protective of each one of us. We want to thank you for your incredible, amazing love. We want to thank you for the stories that we've read, for the understanding you've given us in these stories. And I pray that each one listening and each one that has been with the study today has um, seen their need for, for you in their life. And just like those um, fishermen called out, Lord, save me, may that be our cry as well. Father, may we have the faith like the centurion and the rulers. Father, may we be willing to act on our faith and to do what you ask us to do. And in turn, Lord, may we also fulfill the commission that you fulfilled on this earth. And may we fulfill it through your mighty strength, Lord, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.